Welcome to the Fed Heads, a weekly podcast from Grant Thornton Public Sector. Join the Fed Heads, Robert Shea and Francis Rose, each week to talk about the arcana of government management and the people who are working hard every day to improve it. Welcome to episode 18. I'm Francis Rose. And I'm Robert Shea. Uh, cybersecurity is top of mind in this town. Cybersecurity executive order not too long ago. Lots of other conversations about cyber. A couple of weeks back, we learned another penetration of a contractor system in the United States. Navy, uh, the Chinese government got lots of information about uh, Navy undersea operations and so on. Uh, this discussion has been going on, it seems like, forever. I mean, It, it has. Uh, it seems to the threat is evolving much faster than we have the capabilities to deal with it. And it's not just in this town. It's everywhere. It's every household in America and across the world. Two guests to talk about cyber on FedHeads today. I'll introduce one. You can introduce the other. Great. John uh, Lanehart from Grant Thornton. Uh, great pedigree in cybersecurity and IT generally. We're lucky to have you. Thanks a lot for John, being here. John, it's great to see you. Thanks for coming Thank in. You. Rod Turk is the Acting Chief Information Officer at the Department of Commerce. Nice to see you, my friend. Absolutely. Um, so this is a trifecta for you. You were on my Federal News Radio program. Mm-hmm. You've been on Government Matters, mm-hmm. and now you're here on FedHeads. So. You've finally made it to the top. <laughs> so what else is there? That's right. Well, you and you've demonstrated that you'll do pretty much anything <laughs> that I ask you to do. That's exactly right. I take as a very high compliment. Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. Uh, I'm very glad you're here. Tell me about what you're doing in the cyber realm in particular at Commerce right now. Well, cybersecurity is always at the forefront of everything we do, right? Uh, one of the big things that we're looking at right now is the cybersecurity related around the census. Um, census is huge. Now, 2020 is, it may sound like it's a long ways away, but 2020 on April 1st is when the census starts, and we're starting to lock down systems. Uh, in addition to locking them down, we're testing, doing penetration testing. There's a We're looking at a bug bounty coming up here in the summer as well so that we can you know, just get a, get a full measure of the cybersecurity because, frankly, we just don't want to lose that data. Mm-hmm. We want to ensure the public trust. That's huge. The public trust is huge, not only for all of the federal government, but, you know, for, for census as well. We want people to in the United States to feel comfortable with, Department of Commerce and the Census Bureau to have their data in their databases, and that that means cybersecurity. So that's one of the big areas uh, that we're looking at. And of Mm -hmm. course, you know, from an enterprise perspective, uh, we're still uh, doing our our, uh, Enterprise Security Operations Center is big out at Fairmont, West Virginia. Uh, We take in lots of feeds from our components, and with that, we hope to to bake a a knowledge cake, if you will, that... uh, you know, tells us uh, what's going on in our environment, and that's huge as well. So you, you love chocolate cake, don't you? <laughs> I love chocolate cake. Yes, that would. Is that have we pivoted to cake? I was just curious because I thought. Well, it's definitely cake. not a vanilla cake. That's for sure. <laughs> that's a wise uh, choice. Maybe a layer cake. Maybe it's so. Cybersecurity. Yeah. So I like carrot cake. But that's <laughs> there you go. So Rod, you talk about locking down systems. Um, I think experience shows you're never completely locked out. The threat is constant and evolving and our ability to combat it mm-hmm. um, has to continue to grow and the people we're trying to engage in uh, setting up a security system is very complex as well talk about those challenges john from your experience too up on the hill and in other places how you manage that complex enterprise so 
One of the keys in cybersecurity is to be resilient. So as you, as you stated, the, uh, the demands are great, the threat is great, the vulnerabilities are significant in some cases. So it's a, a, a tough job. However, when you do have an issue, when something happens in your environment, something nefarious happens in your environment, you want to be able to uh, remediate the, the issue quickly. And by doing that quickly, hopefully then reduce the amount of time that that particular uh, malfeasance, if you will, is in your environment so that hopefully it doesn't laterally move uh, and, and, uh, and, and then take down a lot of your systems. What you want to do is catch it quickly. You want to sanitize. You want to fix it. You want to, to lock it down and then get rid of it as quickly as possible. And one of the ways, the measures that I kind of look at is, is, uh, is dwell time. Dwell time is how long is that piece of malware in your system. Uh, unfortunately, the last, uh, and this is across all of the, the government as well as is in private industry, it, it's usually there for over 200 days before somebody finds it. And generally, somebody tells you that it's there, you don't find it yourself. Wow. And that's, so that's serious business. You want to, 200 days is too much, obviously. You want to get that down to hopefully minutes or less so that you can then react and make sure that you're providing the services you need to provide for the functionals that are in your organization. John, is that your experience? Yeah, and I think the, the wave of the future is to go ahead and look at it proactively. Um, so you've got indicators of bad actors and you, know, you profile them and you look for anomalies and things of that nature on as much a real-time basis as possible um, so that you, you can cut the time down from 200 days to you know, a relatively short amount of time or even prevent it from happening as a result. Does resilience mean the same thing in 2018 that it meant two years ago or five years ago or 10 years ago, John? I would say even 15, 20 years ago, yeah, mm -hmm. pretty much so. The concept hasn't changed even though the technology and the threat landscape has. You get more technology to make it better, mm -hmm. but it's still the same kinds of basic issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why do you think it's taken so long uh, Rod, for resilience to be the focus of people in government. This is not a term. The reason I ask the question is because talking about this issue five years ago or ten years ago, nobody really talked about resilience. It was really still building moats around mm -hmm. information networks. Yeah, it's an in that's interesting because, because uh, you're right. You don't hear the term resilience much. Um, not sure exactly why that is, although... Um, at DHS, there is a, a, a division called the Federal Network Resilience Group, which is, uh, has the responsibility for cybersecurity issues. So resilience is there, mm -hmm. um, but it's a realization. It's almost, some might look at it as if you've been defeated if you have actually had a, you know, something uh, come into your environment. But the realization is, is that, uh, you know, it happens. And so when it does happen, you need to be able to react and have that and and I've also made this point before you know when you when you have to kind of look through your little black book to find out where you know the three letter agencies are and the DHS guys are to help you with resilience and getting it out of your system it's basically too late mm -hmm. because what you want to do is develop those relationships before it happens so that when you see an indicator you got the people you need to talk to and it's like right there and it happens quickly because time is of the essence, as I mentioned. You don't want it to move laterally. 
Sounds like we've we've uh, finally are beginning to shatter the hope, false hope of impenetrability, that, that we're never fully safe from these invasions. Yeah. Well, and that that realization is also one of the foundations of the high value asset program that uh, the bot that just came out. Um, we want to be able to uh, segment those high value, the high value data, high value systems, whatever the case may be, and identify them so that <coughs> additional layers, not only of protection but also of, of, of searching, I guess, penetration testing, you know, and, and looking to see that if that particular uh, high-value system is, in fact, more secure than the run-of-the-mill, low-rated, low-rated uh, type of system. So high-value assets is also key to that. It's, that's, it's, it's, a, it's a risk-based thing. It's a risk-based decision. And those items that you do not want to have exfiltrated, those are high-risk, high-probability, and you want to you put extra protections around them. There are probably certain kinds of information that are obviously high value PII and things like that, John. Are there things that are high value that agencies maybe don't think of as high value and should, or are there things that maybe they overvalue when they're doing that risk management analysis? Well, that's really the key that uh, NIST came out with a new volume for the risk management framework where step zero, the first step is to really go through and decide what are your high value systems and what aren't. In the past, everybody was treating it almost as the same, mm -hmm. and there's certain items, like you said, that are of high value, like the the system that uh, the Navy contractor had. That was a high value system. That shouldn't have happened. Mm -hmm. um, and then some of the lower value uh, systems were getting the same treatment, and you know you just can't do that. I remember back when I was a GAO, we went and we called it lifeblood systems instead mm -hmm. of high value assets. And I recommended that Social Security's tape management system be included in the list. It was, oh, no, it's impossible. You know, that's, but they had thousands of tapes. You lose the master file or one, vo one volume out of it, and you couldn't pay, you know, the population. Mm -hmm. So those are the kinds of systems that often get overlooked. Rob, before we started, you, you were talking about some of the broader modernization, transformation initiatives going on across government. The change management associated with greater security is uh, part and parcel of the kind of thing you need to uh, deploy or employ when you're trying to accomplish these broader transformations. Still a major challenge in government where things tend to be calcified. Uh, talk about your perspective on transformation, what we need to do to, to manage these big changes. Well, an element of the IT modernization, the, the Technology Modernization Fund and the MGT Act, there's a, an undercurrent of, of thought that says, you know, if you modernize these legacy, old, old legacy systems, they'll be more secure. And I, I tend to agree with that. I think that's, that's a good thought. There's a couple points, though. Uh, the first of which is, is that if, if and that, in fact, is going to be the case, that they will be, in fact, be more secure, you really need to put the security in up front in that project. So you bake it in right up front. You cost it. You cost the, the, the authority to operate into the program so that there's no surprises security-wise. You don't want to put it on at the end. It's going to cost you more. It's not going to be as effective. You want to bake it into the system. Now, there's another thing that, um, 
you know, that I think has not been thought of much in when we talk about IT modernization, and that's just the change management process. You know, anytime you make a, a major change or you are resystemizing a, a, uh, a system or making significant uh, improvements to it, you really ought to re-engineer that particular piece of software or that system as well, meaning add functionality to it make it more user-friendly, those kinds of things. You've got to do that at the same time. It's, it's easier and it's cheaper. But what happens then, though, is that you are really moving people's cheese, if you will. You're changing the way they do work by modernizing, by changing that functionality. And so there's, there's a real consideration, I believe, that needs to be, needs to be made in uh, change management, you know, do you have the change management processes in place to be successful in making that change in the way it needs to be needs to be made? But there's also a couple of other things that you need to think about. What about your culture? What about the culture in the organization? Does it will it accept that change? Part of uh, the discussion in the executive order for CIOs is is collapsing IT services where you can, or just IT technology. A lot of CIOs and a lot of technical people like to put their hands on the boxes, right? They like to, they like to feel those blinky lights if you can, if you can feel them, I guess. But, <laughs> but, but they like to feel the box. They like, they like to feel the wires going in and out yep. and all that sort of stuff. And so, what you're talking about then is taking away their their comfort. Mm-hmm. You're taking away their blinky lights. You're taking away the wires. You're going to move those wires to the cloud, or you're going to consolidate them into a different data center. My gosh, and so. You have to sit back and ask yourself, is your culture ready then to make that kind of change? Now, there's another, there's a third C in this, and that is do you have the capability to do this? Meaning, really, ability. Do you have your people trained? You know, do you have the, the, the uh, types of expertise in your organization to be able to make this work? Do you have the people who can write the business cases? Do you have the people who can, can communicate? Do you have the change management people who can do the trifolds and the, the blogs and all of that other stuff that allows you then to move that information into the organization? So I think when you talk about IT modernization, you really need to also step back and say, do I have the three C's in place? You know, is my culture ready? Do I have the capability? And am I ready for this change? Now, some people say the three C's are cigars, coffee, and cognac. But I like that, those. But that, <laughs> but that, That's another show. But that, <laughs> come, but that comes later. That comes after the project's over. So. John, you, you mentioned your career at GAO. You were also Inspector General at the U.S. House of Representatives. You spent a substantial part of your career overseeing these changes. How would you judge the capacity or the three C's in place today across government that Rod mentioned in change management efforts? Well, I think they are critical. There's no question about that. I mean, in doing the COBIT that I've been doing for 26 years now, uh, that was one of the major things in our implementation guide. We talked about change management, talked about the uh, culture. Tell us what COBIT is first. COBIT is a document that's a... um, Governance and Management Framework. The letters are are the name, COBIT. Um, And with that, we've just done an update uh, last Saturday. Uh, We delivered it. And the bottom line is everything that Rod said is exactly what's in our implementation guide. Because you've got to have those in place, whether it's a cybersecurity initiative or it's a change of applications, you know, building new software. and like Rod said, too, it's critical to have 
security built in at the front end. Usually it's bolted on at the back end, and that's going to cost you. Barry Boehm wrote a book. He was in the federal government years ago, and he said it's going to cost 100 to 1,000 times more to bolt it on at the end than building it in as you develop it. Have you ever heard of the Winchester House? Hmm. California, Winchester House, Winchester Fortune, the woman who inherited all the, the gun fortune, uh, was told that uh, if she continued to build her home that she'd never die. And so she just added room on over here, another room on over there. There's stairways that go up into the ceiling. They actually found another room that they didn't know they had. This house is over 100 years old. So bolting on cybersecurity at the end of the project is like the Winchester house. It doesn't function well. There's bathroom doors that don't open because the toilet's in the way. It just doesn't work well. It may be sort of functional, but it just isn't the way you want it. Clunky <laughs> yeah, is the word. Yeah. Is the government, John, getting any better at that? And are the companies that serve the government getting any better at saying to the agencies, no, this isn't how you want to do this, and then providing a better alternative? It's hard to provide a better alternative, you know, because you're responding to an RFP. Sure. So the best way to do it is by, you know, helping uh, identify the issues and have a contract that you can then build on mm -hmm. and get it to the right uh, solution. Um, I think the government's better than it has been uh, in the past uh, in that the executive order, the uh, identification of the uh, high-valued assets, that's never been done before. The RMF changing and going to step zero, that's excellent. Uh, 853 is being revised to include privacy as a, a mainstay for it. That's excellent. And then the uh, cybersecurity framework that was just reissued. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of things in place. Now, where's the, you know, that's where the money meets the road. Mm -hmm. Will they implement what's needed as opposed to just gloss over it and check the boxes? Rod, final thought. Um, you talked about CIOs who love to hug their servers. Mm -hmm. And something that I read in between the lines of the president's executive order on CIOs was, I don't think they want those kinds of CIOs anymore. I think they want strategic CIOs that they see as complements to the other CXOs at the top of the executive suites of the agencies. They don't want BlackBerry people anymore. Is that a fair read, do you think? Am I reading it right? So I have to come clean. <laughs> uh, and, and I say that because my undergraduate degree is in finance, and I have an MBA, mm -hmm. and it's in uh, management science, which is basically program management. Uh, I came about my IT creds by hard knocks, if you will, through the program management uh, uh, pipeline. So f it's obvious then that I would say that I think I think that's exactly what you need. Now, it's ba it's also backed up by my contention is backed up by some studies that were done, one by Forrester that talked about the future CISO. And basically what Forrester said was that the, the future CISO has to be a renaissance man or woman, meaning they have to have a 360-degree focus. They have to know how to write, how to speak, how to do budgets, all of that, because if they're going to be a member of the C-suite, they have to be able to, to sit at the table and communicate. And um, that, that means that uh, if you're talking in bits and bytes, it's not quite what you need. Mm -hmm. That's been the chicken or egg problem for the last decade or so, at least, John, is the CIOs say they want a seat at the table. But there are some of them that when they get to the table, they're doing exactly what Rod is talking about. And 
almost ostracized because nobody really understands what they're talking about, right? Yeah, you can't talk in foreign tongues because that's what they try to do. And and really, you need somebody that has the business out, you know, capabilities to talk in business terms and provide the uh, value add, if you will, uh, to whatever's being done, whether it be a payroll system to a you know new accounting system, et cetera. John, thanks very much for joining us. It's great to see you. We got bring him back and pick his brain about the House of Representatives stuff. Yeah. But we usually <laughs> talk about the executive branch, and so this would be a nice chance to bag on that. Lots of skeletons in those closets. I just, have every confidence just a that's few. the case. It's great to see you. Thank Rod Turk, always fun to talk to you. I appreciate you coming and joining always us pleasure. on FedHeads as well. Robert, thank you very much. Francis, good to see you again. Enjoyed it as always. And thanks very much for listening. Thanks for listening to the FedHeads, brought to you by Grant Thornton Public Sector. All of the resources talked about during the episode are available in the episode description. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us on Twitter at GT Public Sector to join the conversation. And don't forget to leave us a comment or review on iTunes or the Google Play Store.